0: hey everyone and welcome to let's pod this my name is andy moore i'm one of your hosts and i am joined uh here in the second week of our social distancing i am joined at a distance by scott nelson hello sir what's up man bailey perkins how are you
1: I am good. Hello,
0: everybody. And uh, guest co-host this week, friend of the pod, uh, previous guest, and previous board member, Effie Rourke.
2: Hi, everybody.
0: Coming live all the way from Maine. Yes. We wanted to have a, a Mainer on the show today to help explain what the what the outbreak looks like across the country. Um, also, Effie. Is always an Oklahoman at heart. I think it's fair to say, and stays in the loop on Oklahoma politics, and I think offers a fresh perspective. Uh, so, thanks for joining us.
2: Yeah, I'm glad to be here, and I will say that in Maine, it's important that you're not a Mainer unless your ancestors came on the Mayflower. So, really? yeah, you, I'm, I will, will never be um, a Mainer. So. I'm just visiting, as far as they're concerned.
3: <laughs> we uh, we visited Maine once, and they they told us something similar. They were like, "Yeah, you you can say you're from here if you're like maybe third or fourth generation, but but definitely no earlier than that. Yep. Like, yep, um, unless you're living on land that your family has owned for a minimum of 100 years, you are you're you're not from Maine.
1: Yep.
0: What's funny about that is because in Oklahoma so many people in Oklahoma like really do live on land their family's owned for a hundred years, but they're only the second owners, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, all right. Well, uh, how, let's start with just like kind of uh, a brief personal check-in. How's everybody holding up,
3: man? This is weird, right? Like this whole situation, it's just, uh, it's different and strange. And I honestly from like just my own personal experience and then, talking to other folks. I don't think it's really, I don't think it's really set in yet for a lot of folks.
4: Mm -hmm.
1: Well, maybe more than last week, but
2: not enough people have taken it seriously.
0: Not as much as next week. I anticipate.
2: I find myself kind of fluctuating between am I overreacting? Am I underreacting? And, you know, so much staying off of social media helps because there's so many extremes of like, this is the apocalypse and it's really bad and going to get worse. And then like, well, testing's really low and so maybe it's not that bad. So I find myself kind of like swinging between these wild feelings all day long.
3: <laughs> or testing is really, really low, so maybe it's so much worse than we're thinking it yeah. is right now. <laughs> yeah,
2: I'm having a hard time getting a hold on like how I'm actually feeling about it, other than just general anxiety.
1: Yeah, or just like going to sleep and then waking up, hoping that Ashton Kutcher will pop up saying we've been pumped. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. And uh, I think it's tough because there's so many numbers coming at us about infections, hospitalizations, deaths, and it varies so widely state to state, country to country. And it's really hard to, I think for most folks, I mean, myself included, to to know how to peg where we're at, right? Even I saw someone did a bunch of graphs, like for every state and the number of infections, but the scale of the graph was different for every state, right? So a tall bar could be 30 tests. It could be 300 tests. I was like, well, that's a huge difference. Like we need some kind of standardization across the board.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: And it's, you know, it's kind of one of those deals. Like this is, I know it's, I think this is more true in the age of social media than at any other time. And I'm as guilty of it as anybody else, but like, Everybody's like, you know, we've gone from being like armchair, you know, political strategists to like now everybody's an armchair epidemiologist. To like, you know, like yeah, mm-hmm.
2: so many hot takes, and it's kind of exhausting.
3: And I mean, it's it's important to remember, even you know, um, I think we're going to talk about like a few numbers, a couple numbers here in a minute that are I think illustrative, but it's like. Modeling how these kinds of things spread through populations is extraordinarily complicated. Like people literally write dissertations on how you model this kind of a a disease outbreak. And so anybody who says that like, oh, it's going to happen like X, Y, or Z um, is unless unless they are, in fact, a bona fide public health expert. um,
0: They wouldn't say it, though. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Like, well, so, you know, quick update. I'm sure most of our listeners know this, but today is we are recording this on Friday, March 20th uh, at about three o'clock in the afternoon. So um, as of now, both the University of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State University and many other universities here in our state and across the country have announced they're going online only for the, remem- the remainder of the semester. Um, I think a bunch of people have graduations that are postponed. We expect the State Department of Education will likely um, uh, go ahead and push the rest of the school year, just say it's a wash, um, and try to do some kind of distance education where they can. Uh, but it, this really may be, it maybe that spring break is the end of the semester, which bumps I mean, there's a chance they could go into the summer, right? Uh, but it also has impacts on standardized testing and all kinds of stuff across the country. Um, I think it is important um, to note that school meals will still be served. Um, and, uh, oh, whoever made the note on our on our show notes here, thank you, that this Superintendent Hoffmeister has waived all state testing for the school year. I wish I'd read that a minute ago.
1: Yeah, well, the uh, federal government um, allowed states to make that decision. Um, and Superintendent Hoffmeister announced that yesterday that, mm. you know, it's not an easy decision, but it's an important decision for our students, especially because so many of them are probably stressed out in this moment of trying to figure out what's going on, how to stay safe. Are they even going to have school? I don't think it's fair to put that uh, burden on students, and even teachers who would have to figure out how to prepare their students in this time for the test, even though many of them have moved to online models. So I think it's a good move from Superintendent Hoffmeister to, to let those go for.
0: Yeah. Um, Scott, can I ask, I mean, to whatever extent you feel comfortable saying, what's the mood like in the medical community? Um, pretty stressful, I think.
3: You know, um, I will say like, I've had a ton, I mean, I've had just a, a ton of people. I mean, like, uh, many of whom, all of whom are on this podcast right now have reached out to me (laughs) and been like, Hey man, like, how's it going? You know, friends have said like, Hey, um, you know, we hope you're staying safe. The truth is, so I work in an outpatient setting, meaning I see patients in a clinic. I don't work in a hospital or an intensive care unit. Um, and so far for us. What has been difficult um, is that the one, like the volume of actual people that we're seeing, is actually a little bit down this week. Right, lots of people are canceling doctor's appointments that they had sure, because they're yeah. wanting to stay away. So that's one thing. But but there are so many phone calls, right? Like. Because obviously everybody has heard about this now. Everybody's worried about it. Lots of people think that they have it. Lots of people probably do have it. And they're wanting to be tested. They want to know if they should come see the doctor. And so answering those questions and the sheer number of people that we're having to tell, like, no, don't come to the office. Like, stay home. Because if you come to the office, we're probably not going to test you. Because A, you may have it. And B, we have a limited number of testing supplies. And so we have to try and reserve those for patients where like knowing whether this is what you have or not is a big is like a an important part of your treatment plan does that make sense right um and there can be a whole host of reasons why that would be the case so kind of trying to invent new protocols on the fly that's been really tough right because like hospital systems and doctor's offices we got protocols for fires and tornadoes and earthquakes and disasters and snowstorms and tornadoes and whatever else you can imagine um, but there's not really a protocol, at least as far as I'm aware, for like every hospital and every clinic being hit with the same emergency at the same time, right? Like when that happens, your, your backup systems, um, your backup systems can't be your backup systems anymore because they're dealing with their own stuff. So I would say in terms of like how we're doing, like, you know, we're all wearing masks all the time and gloves all the time and trying to make sure we don't get sick and don't get other people sick. Um, and there's definitely a high level of stress there, but at, at present, I don't think the situation in Oklahoma city is like the situation that we're seeing in, you know, Seattle and New York are certainly not overseas. And the goal is to make sure that it doesn't get there. Yeah. Um, that was a really long winded answer to your question, but that's kind of my deal. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> I mean, as, as we kind of said, the state's got a critical shortage of, of tests and testing supplies. Um, I had a, I just talked to a colleague on the phone right before we started recording who said that um, one of the, his relatives had, you know, is older, like in their 60s, has cold like symptoms, flu, got worse and worse. Went, they live in a rural area, went to the hospital, called the PCP, went to the hospital, tested for everything, said, nope, you don't have any of that. And they said, are you, are, you, is it difficult to breathe? And, And she said, I I don't, I don't know. They said, okay, well, if it's not definitely yes, then we can't test you. So go home and just isolate and call us if it gets worse. And so she went home and she's like, I guess I don't have it. And he was like, no, no, you, you probably do have it. They just can't test you. So she's like, I'm going to Walmart. He's like, don't go to Walmart. Like, (laughs) like you gotta, this is not how it works.
3: And that's a, that's a, that's a struggle. I think that that a lot of us are having. And one thing I would emphasize, okay. Um, We are telling people like, hey, if we don't have, you know, if we're not going to test you, like you probably have it. If your doctor tells you that they think you probably have coronavirus, stay home, don't go anywhere, self-quarantine, isolate for 14 days. Please do not post on social media that you have tested positive for coronavirus. Like, because that's been happening a lot is folks that actually haven't been swabbed are posting on social media and saying i tested positive i tested positive i tested positive positive. and like right now because we're in this very like critical kind of early phase where we're trying to get a sense of how widespread this disease is um we need to know who the true positives are and we need to know who the true me- the true negatives are and like you probably have it then self-isolate yourself and treat yourself like that but please don't post on social media that you tested positive for coronavirus
2: Scott, is there has there been any additional information about the folks who've recovered, whether they're immune now or like, is it safe for them to be out and about in society?
3: So I think that uh, the thought process is that probably if you got coronavirus this year, you probably can't get COVID-19 this year again. We don't know yet if this is like the flu where you can get flu A in 2020 and maybe you won't get flu A in 2020 again but you could get flu A again next year because it's a different kind of strain. We don't know that yet. I know that there are lots of labs that are actively working on answering that question. Like if you've gotten, you know, if you've gotten sick with the disease that we call COVID-19, can you get it again in the future and we just we don't know the answer to that yet um, but that's a critical question to answer in terms of vaccine development right like are we gonna have to have a new vaccine for this thing every year or are we gonna spend the next year and a half developing a vaccine and everybody gets it and that's gone
4: be
0: done right yeah yep. i Like as testing expands you know uh we all expect that the number of cases will go up think it's important to say right and um hopefully like, this sounds weird, but hopefully we will see a dramatic increase in the number of cases because that means a dramatic increase in the number of tests that are being performed. Uh, we we expect that there are lots of people who are infected or at least have uh, that have it right, and they just not haven't been tested yet. They may call it, you might call this a surge, um, and uh, I think as we said last week, the frontier has been doing some excellent uh, coverage of this as of. Today, there's been 49 confirmed positives in the state. However, I think altogether we've done 961 tests, 49 are positive, um, but there's still like 374 that are pending. So like almost a third of all the tests have not yet even come back yet. And so.
1: Well, and of those that we know, um, Mayor Holt wrote on Twitter that two thirds of those cases that we know of are in the Oklahoma City Metro. And I think the way he's defining Oklahoma City Metro includes Norman. So uh, right, yeah, so especially those in highly populated
2: areas have to even be more cautious. But it's also an issue of timing when the test is, right? Isn't that what you were talking about um, maybe earlier, Scott, that you know, you have to have enough of the viral load to test positive. And so doing lots of tests and even if they come back ne- negative doesn't necessarily mean those folks are in the clear.
3: Yeah, that's 100% true. The other thing to think about in terms of the way that the dumber's are coming back is we have 49 positive tests. And I want to be really clear. I don't know the answer to this question. But one thing that matters is when those tests were done. Okay, so a lot of tests right now are being done at outside laboratories outside the state of Oklahoma um, because we simply don't have the number of tests and the capacity here. So just with like transit time and travel time and running the assay and that everybody in the country is trying to do this test, results are going to take some time to come back. Right. So this is not like a deal where, you know, somebody's you're necessarily going to get test results like in 24 hours. So like the we got five new positive results today were those tests done two days ago, five days ago, 10 days ago, like where, like where in the time course of this outbreak were those like, like what, what, what point in the time course of this outbreak do those positive tests represent? I don't know the answer to that. Right. Because if it's seven or 10 days ago, then that changes that changes things.
0: Yeah. And we have our first death that has been directly attributed to COVID-19 uh, a man in Tulsa is 55, um, and our certainly our condolences to his family, um, and thoughts are with them. All right, um, any other comments about COVID 19 coronavirus yes. situation?
2: I have one more. It's both relevant to the outbreak and to Oklahoma, which is that if you have not watched Pandemic yet on Netflix, you need to watch it. It's a docu series, so it's not it's real life. Um, it came out before all of this happened. Believe well, in twenty seventeen, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it follows um, these infectious disease specialists around the world as they're trying to track, you know, what's going to be the next pandemic. And then lo and behold, here we are, right in the middle of it. But um, the interesting thing about it is that it features a rural Oklahoma hospital. Um, and and really loops in some of the struggles that the state budget has faced, some of the decisions the state legislature has made in cutting funding so much in recent years, um, and it's just this one rural doctor in Oklahoma who's terrified of a flu outbreak. Um, so if you're if you're interested in in that, that's definitely a great um, and very timely series on Netflix right now.
0: That's fascinating. Also, that reminded me of another thing that came out on Netflix. Yes, <laughs> Bailey.
2: Joe Exotic came out, too. I watched the first few episodes, and it is weird, wild stuff.
3: All right. That's that's my plan for this weekend. What's it called? Like tig- Tiger or something? What's the name of the series? I
2: don't know. It's right on the front page, though, of Netflix, and it is so much weirder than I thought it was going to be. Well, for
1: our listeners who may not know who Joe Exotic is, he uh, owned a tiger safari um, in the Yukon or Mustang, I believe. I believe it was Mustang. Um, and also made a run, I guess you could call it, for governor. And so that's how a lot of people um, knew who Joe Exotic was for both the safari park that he had and for his um, his run for, for governor. A um, couple of mistakes he made, and now he is <laughs> in prison. So it's an interesting documentary definitely go check it out on netflix
3: when she says mistakes she means murder for hire
2: yeah just just things like that murder for hire of another big cat person in florida it's they're all they have it's like the most over-the-top personalities you could imagine these people
3: the so the only other thing just to take it back to, to you know, wah, 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 to go back to the coronavirus <laughs> before we leave the topic entirely. Um, one thing that I was going to throw out, um, and this is, again, this is not me trying to be an, an armchair epidemiologist. This is just uh, an example that I think is illustrative of how important it is that we are all... Um, continuing to adhere to the social distancing policies and take them seriously. um, And really try not to make any exceptions that you don't have to. Um, So as of today, like at the time we record, there are 16,796 cases of Coronavirus that have been diagnosed in the United States. So just to just a skosh under 17,000. People that are smarter than I am, estimate that like this virus, like Like the people number of infected like it'll double like roughly every three days okay like the doubling time for how many positive cases seems to be about every three days um assuming that the doubling time is about three days and assuming that the folks predicting peak kind of peak infections in the population will occur in about six weeks That means that the 17,000 infections, 6,796 that we have today, would double 14 times. Do you guys have any idea how many infected people will be in the U.S. if 16,796 infections double 14 times? 45 million. 100 million. 137,592,832
1: wow that's terrifying. Infected,
3: though, right yeah it's, that's infected 137 and a half million infections now let's say we all stay home okay and we're trying to do this like flatten the curve deal and nobody like goes out and does stuff and let's say that that means that instead of doubling every three days we buy 24 hours so now it doubles every four days instead okay uh, and that would mean that instead of doubling 14 times it doubles 10 and a half times. All right. Um, you guys have any idea what, how many times that would reduce? Like, what what was, the, what was the first number?
0: 137 and a half million. So 63,
1: 31. I said probably cut it down by
0: 50 million.
3: 10, 10 million. Uh, it'd be 17,199,000. So you would get rid of 120 million of those 137 million infections. Wow. If you can get it to five days instead of four, it's down to about 4 million. That 137 million goes down by 133 million. And if you can get the doubling time to six days in six weeks, you'd have a million infections in the United States. So you would reduce the 137 million potential infections. You would reduce that number by 136 million.
2: I, I do think it's important to note that the flatten the curve, stuff that's, you know, that's new generally to most of the public does mean that we'll be dealing with the social distancing stuff for longer, right? I do think that that's important to note. So if people are starting to get a little stir crazy or starting to say, you know, next week or even a few days from now, what's the big deal? It seems like maybe the the cases aren't that bad, that that means it's working. So keep you know, if you're doing this, if you're staying in your house and trying to keep yourself and your community safe, um, keep it up.
0: Yeah, that's right. Stay home. Well, one
2: thing that I've also heard is that
1: um, while now is the peak season, you know, with some cases of the flu it, it could go away in the summer, we could have a resurgence in the fall. So this is something that we have to prepare for throughout the year and not just in the next couple of weeks. We really have to be proactive I'm thinking about how we're going to to mitigate.
0: Right, right. Well, let's uh, let's turn our attention away from the disease <laughs> and back to. I was going to say another disease, but that's mean. Um, let's let's look at what's been going on in our state government because that's really our bailiwick here. At let's pod this, right? The Oklahoma government. So it's basically shut down at this point. But um, <laughs> on it's. You guys, it's nuts. Last Friday, you could still go to an NBA game. And today, like, you can barely leave your house, right? Like, that's how quickly things turned around. So, on Tuesday, the legislature passed really two bills. One to allow some money to be transferred out of the lengthy trial fund that I'm sure most of us didn't even know existed, that they can use it to pay for various things. Uh, and then, secondly, they. Um, made some changes to the state's Open Meeting Act to allow public entities, so like literally every board commission, whatever in the state, like school board, city council, you know, oversight boards, all that stuff, everything that's subject to Open Meeting Act, um, to allow them to meet virtually, either on the phone or teleconference or video conference, like what we're doing. And that process was a little bumpy, I will say, as someone who has a vested interest in that. So what happened was the Senate passed a bill. So they basically took a House bill, House Bill 3888, stripped the language out, dumped in a floor substitute. So just put in new language, you know, without going through committee, just straight to the floor that would expand the Open Meeting Act and allow entities to, to meet again through using technology and a few other things, and then they passed it and sent it to the House just before lunch. And in that process, um, one of the one of the clauses, right, like, made this in place for a year, so till March of 2021. And that was a little anxiety provoking because the day before Speaker McCall had said, "Listen, we're gonna we're gonna have special rules and we're gonna suspend some things, but only for the minimum amount of time." like if this was proposed next year I would not support it. And so now we got a bill going over that would basically change rules, changes the law for a whole year. As it went to the as it went to the House basically during the lunch hour, the House rather than because it was a house bill, so they if they had amended it and sent it back to the Senate, the Senate would have had to pass it and then send it back to the House for the final passage. So rather than doing that, the House took an old Senate bill that was hanging out there from last year, again, stripped the language out, dumped in a floor substitute. That was the same bill and sent it back over changing a few things. And so at the end of the day, uh, what happened was the legislature passed some moderate changes to the open meeting act to allow public entities to meet the attorney general reached out to uh, a member of the Oklahoma press association and said, Hey, i like, he texted him during all of those debate and said, listen, I'm watching this. We are working on some frequently asked questions. Basically, like my office will clarify what this law says so that you have some concrete rules by which to go by. Um, and all they got passed, the governor signed it. And ultimately it's a good thing, but it was like, it was like, watching legislative gymnastics for about four hours. And I was like trying to write blog posts and have a statement about this. That's my favorite kind of gymnastics. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's the only kind I can do. (laughs) Anyway, at the end of the day, it all, it all passed. And, and honestly, like, I think the way it is now is pretty decent and maybe even a little ahead of where our government would have been without it. Like, At some point, we've got to make some rules and some laws to include virtual meetings because it's 2020 and this is how the world works, right? And so it's. I wonder if, in the midst of all the chaos and panic, this outbreak, this pandemic might actually push some aspects of our government forward in a way that is positive overall.
1: Well, that makes sense because, I mean, the Senate is having to close until March 27th. And it's adding, not necessarily confusion, but really pushing the legislature to be innovative and and thoughtful about how they're going to meet their constitutional obligation to finish the state budget. And so the legislature is going to need to think going forward how to innovate so when these moments happen, that government can still do what it needs to do.
0: So the other big thing this week um was about medicaid expansion right um so as we all know governor stitt has proposed his plan for medicaid expansion and essentially has expanded medicaid at this point right full expansion but he is pursuing a waiver from the federal government that would restrict medicaid pretty substantially and he went ahead and filed that i guess last week or was that just on monday it's all running together now
1: Well, they had public comment on this week, so...
0: Right, because once they filed that, it started the 30-day public comment period. On Tuesday or Wednesday was the first one of those, and then they have another one today. Um, But they're having to do that public comment virtually because you can't be gathered in groups of 10 or more. And I think that's caused a lot of uh, confusion and a lot of concern, right, that maybe this would inhibit or hamper public comment efforts. What do you guys think?
3: Confusion and concern. I'll say it. People are freaking pissed because I mean, because this is a huge, this is a huge deal, right? Like um, this is a huge change to one of the most important state programs um, that we have. And they're proposing it at a time when people's access to healthcare is arguably even more critical than it is generally. Um, Two, they were proposing it at a time where the normal and typical means that people have to address their concerns aren't available to them, right? Um, three, they're proposing it at a time where people probably aren't paying attention um, because they're more concerned about keeping themselves and their families healthy and safe and not getting sick. Um, and four, it, a lot of folks, many people are saying that it's uh, <laughs> – it's not very good policy. Um,
1: well, the enrollment's going to be low in the way that it's
3: This is the thing that, that, like, I don't, I mean, I, a lawyer, I am not, but I don't understand how this is going to work because, like, the statute says, and, like, Effie and Bailey know more about this than I do, but, like, the statute says you can't use waivers to do things to Medicaid that make Medicaid, like, not work as well. It has to be stuff that's going to increase people's acts like improve people's healthcare and increase like make their healthcare better essentially and the state's own report says that the plan will depress enrollment like it's going to kick people off like how do they think this is going to pass like legal muster even if they can get it through
2: well and even politically you know i think as you said the the timing is either just really clueless and tone deaf or it's purposefully, um, they're purposefully doing this at a moment when people's attention is directed elsewhere. And, you know, either one of those scenarios is not great, particularly considering the impact that Medicaid has and how many people rely on it and how many people need it. That's, that's a pretty major proposed policy change at a moment when arguably the government should be focusing on other things too.
1: Well, and it could have potential implications to the country because if these waivers were to go through and the way that the governor wants to implement Medicaid expansion um, is accepted, we'll be the first state to ever do it in this way. And so it sets a new precedent that now other states who may have this view of this approach to Medicaid may explore this. So, it could affect other people across the country. So, this timing, I agree with Effie and Scott that the timing is just not good to push this policy through.
3: And by the way, um, Medicaid expansion, straight Medicaid expansion would provide, I mean, it would provide help to citizens all across Oklahoma, but I think it's particularly sorely needed in a lot of our rural towns and counties and municipalities, which are. For a lot of reasons, the places in Oklahoma that at least right now are not really taking a lot of precautions in terms of coronavirus, it seems, Um, you know, so like the cases in Oklahoma City or the cases in in Oklahoma right now are concentrated in Oklahoma County, which is to be expected because this is where most of the people live. But this is going to spread throughout the state. And at least right now, I mean, there's pictures from from towns all over more rural parts of the state where people are kind of going about their life doing their normal thing, um, and their hospitals have closed, right? Like, yeah. and aren't going to reopen. And you know, Medicaid expansion is something that could alleviate that, um, but instead we're trying to push through this. I mean, the waiver wouldn't take effect until 2021, so it probably doesn't matter for coronavirus. But like, it is just it's just like striking to me. The like, like you said, Effie, either how tone deaf or deliberately uh, obfuscatory it is.
2: Well, and I think too that this is a major opportunity for our country to really see what public health is. Right, public health is not private healthcare; it's not the same thing. And so, this is a, I think, a hard lesson that I hope we take to heart. That you know, some of the attitudes about Medicaid, like. The, the work requirements and the the thought that, you know, those people are just lazy or whatever all the stereotypes are. Um, public health does, doesn't care, right? Community and population health is dependent on all of us being as healthy as possible. Um, and so I hope that another, you know, hopefully good thing that comes from this outbreak is that the public learns that everybody actually does need healthcare, that even if you have private health insurance and you're a healthy person or have a healthy family, um, the weakest link in your community could, could bring everybody down, right? Um, so Medicaid is, is less about the individual to me and more about public health, and I'm hoping that folks are going to take that to heart um, from this coronavirus outbreak and really start to recognize that we are all connected
1: the coronavirus does not have an ideology.
2: No, it does not. You know, I've told this story to Scott and Andy a few times. The The former Surgeon General under President Bush used to be faculty, might still be faculty at the um, University of Arizona where I did my master's in public health. And he, um, at that time, you know, I, I lived in Tucson right on the, the border with Mexico. And he made a great point that, you know, tuberculosis doesn't care what color your skin is, um, because at that time they were considering doing ice raids in hospitals. Um, And that was a Republican Surgeon General and a Republican president saying like, this is terrible policy. We have to protect public health. Um, We can't be rounding people up at hospitals. And, you know, I wish our Surgeon General now would say something as bold as that, but he'd probably get fired. Um, But anyway, that's, that's the lesson, right? That Viruses and, and pathogens like this don't um, don't care how you vote or how much money you have. You are still vulnerable.
0: Much like Michael Scott says in the office, viruses, like computers, are trying to kill you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Working in an office, quote, I love it. So um, some other implications about all this is that the state election board, um, Paul xerx declared an election emergency, uh, which is so far my favorite emergency we've had. And it sounds like something
2: on Parks and Rec.
0: It does. That's right. I can see Leslie now being like, I am declaring an election emergency. Um, that does not mean that we need to have one right away. It means that um, the elections that are scheduled to be held in April can be rescheduled. Uh, this week, there was a, pri- a presidential primary in Ohio and Nebraska and some other states, and it was just a mess. Uh, the Ohio thing was fascinating because the court and the governor and somebody else were going back and forth until like they were issuing statements at 10 p.m. and even at 4 a.m. just hours before the polls opened so i'm glad that uh that paul Xerox went ahead and got this out there do you guys um think that this is going to have any impact on our june in-state primaries
2: well, can you explain more what an election emergency means? Does does it give the election board some kind of special power? Are they proposing some changes like mailing everybody their ballots?
0: Well, so yes. Um so the an election emergency is kind of like a state of emergency where it does give the election board some leeway in how they handle things and basically they they called it to allow school districts, municipalities, you know, everything else to move elections to another date. They wouldn't ordinarily be able to do that. And um, they said, you know, regular and statutory elections could be rescheduled to June 30th, which is the in-state primary. Um, and that would be convenient for the election board, but we're getting down to the wire here where they're gonna have to print ballots too. Uh, and so I like that, uh, Mr. Zierak said, we are in uncharted waters here. So I'm hopeful, that we have found a sensible solution that is consistent with the spirit of the law and avoids bureaucratic overreach by state election officials. Like, that's a tremendous statement. Uh, you always have to get in bureaucratic overreach. It's, it is a good. It's the name of my punk band, but no one comes to my shows. <laughs> I bet they have. A,
2: I bet they have a search and replace thing on word documents for anything in Oklahoma government that's like if it doesn't say that phrase, sneak it in mm-hmm.
0: there. Just, <laughs> just add
2: it.
0: So or, un, so or think, un, unelected bureaucrats yeah would be uh, the other way yeah. that's a scott mitchell favorite right there <laughs> um so yeah so I you know next month April is candidate filing and they've they basically you don't have to be in person to file and they're there you could get someone to notarize it and mail it in um but i as I think everyone is aware the longer that this pandemic is in place like the more things get, uh, questionable as we move towards the presidential election in November. Now, no one is no one on this podcast is suggesting that we reschedule the November election. That is one premature and two requires congressional <laughs> approval. Um, and that's uh, a huge deal. I didn't even, I haven't even done research yet to find out when, if ever that's been done, but um that would be a, an enormous deal. I think, What we're looking at is just how do we get from here to there given the current state of things.
2: Yeah, and you can see this becoming partisan really quickly if there are proposals to allow everybody to vote absentee. Um, I'm sure we're going to hear lots of panicked calls um, from the right about voter fraud and, and things like that. So I'll be interested to see how this plays out in different states as well as at the national level. Um, Because elections are pretty important, as we know, and um, the way that those unfold determines everything. So,
1: well, and even how the structures are in place varies from state to state. And so, one state could have decent turnout because they have online voting mechanisms, while other states may struggle because they don't have, you know, those different. Uh, processes in place where people can participate. So it'll be interesting to see what decisions are made to, to maximize the vote.
3: Yeah. You know, one thing that's interesting to me is because I've, you know, listened to some other, some other podcasts and they, you know, we've talked about this question of like, if you were, I think what's probably gonna happen is, you know, like not a rescheduling of election, but like making it easier for people to vote, right? You know, vote by mail, sorts of things like, okay, let's say that we change nothing about the election. OK, like everything proceeds as is states conduct elections exactly the way that you are do now. There's no expansion of early voting. There's no expansion of vote by mail. Um, it's the same. So who seems to be most vulnerable to the coronavirus? Old people.
4: Or elderly. OK,
3: so if you have an election where turnout is dramatically depressed among older folks, what party does that seem like it maybe could benefit?
2: I'm this is a trap. I'm not taking it. No, I, no, no,
3: no. Right. Like, I don't understand. In
2: theory, in theory,
1: you know, people would assume it. No, but here's what I'm saying: sure. is like
3: because you're right. Like there would. Right, but what I'm saying, though, is that like I think you're right. Like the the like thing that no one is saying here is that this will turn into a partisan issue because Republicans will say voter fraud and Democrats will say access and like democracy. Right. Like that's the fight that we always have about this. But like here, the incentives are reversed. Right. If there is a, an election where the turnout is really low among older voters, which skew to the right, that would benefit like. That would tend, you would think, to benefit Democrats, whereas expanded access, like early voting, vote vote by mail, that would keep turnout high or at average levels would benefit Republicans. So, like, this seems like there might actually be the time where you could get, like, some serious election reform done because the incentives are different than they typically are.
2: We live in crazy times. Everything's backwards. (laughs)
0: Literally everything is affected by this, like in crazy ways, right? Like I everything I, I have yet to think of a job in America that really is not somehow touched by this. And and I think over the next couple of weeks we're gonna see a lot more. So well and
1: it's why policy decisions are so critical to be thoughtful about the larger umbrella of people, because the way that our workforce structure is designed um, it doesn't like certain mechanisms, of unemployment and other things aren't capturing um, n- like artists or um, yeah. workers who are paid by tips and, in and, and those other means. And so um, it's going to be really interesting to see what comes out of the third stimulus bill to make sure that all workers are covered.
3: So what federal legislation has, Kind of been what's been passed and what's being worked on to try and mitigate the uh, economic effects, certainly, of the coronavirus uh, pandemic. So there's been um, a family's first Coronavirus Response Act, I believe. That is what was.
1: Well, there's one before that, though.
3: Oh, what was the what was the what was the first one?
1: So there's been about two iterations and a third one that's being worked on. So the first one was the initial appropriation immediately after the president uh, declared um, the state of emergency. And that was about a $8.3 billion appropriation um, that was signed into law to get immediate dollars out to states, especially towards um, testing capacity. So that was on March 6. And it's really crazy because government never moves fast. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of legislation moving quickly, so the pandemic is is making Congress move a little bit faster than what it normally does. Um, so that Families First Coronavirus Response Act was signed into law just a couple of days ago, um, and it has um, components of paid leave uh, for businesses that serve, I mean, that have under uh, 500 employees. Um, it has um, provisions to bolster unemployment. Um, It has provisions that would um, increase areas related to uh, nutrition and foods. Um, And then most recently, there's been a lot of conversation about what is the next step? Um, How do we get immediate dollars to communities? And so that's the current stimulus bill that Congress is trying to work through that the Senate proposed yesterday.
3: So, Bailey, that family's first coronavirus relief act Mm -hmm. um, seemed like there's a lot of good stuff in there that could be pretty helpful. Um, Do you know offhand how Oklahoma's congressional delegation voted on that bill?
1: (laughs) Yes, I do. So, uh, on the House side, uh, when it was voted upon, um, Congressman Cole, Congressman Lucas, and Congresswoman Horn voted yes for the measure. Uh, Congressman Mullen did not vote, um, is suspected, um, because he has, um, a son who has faced an injury in California. He's been doing visits back and forth to California for that. Um, so he did not vote, but, uh, Kevin Hearn did vote no against that legislation, um, when it was voted on Wednesday now, cause it's Friday, all my days are running together. Um, Senator uh, Lankford voted against it and Senator Enhoff voted against it. And so there were eight uh, senators who voted against it. And both of ours were a part of that. Um, those eight. So
3: imagine that.
1: Yep. <laughs> well, and they mentioned that there was concern about um, the pay lead portions hurting small businesses. And so that was, the perspective of the money's not getting immediately down to communities and hurting um, small businesses that are intended to be helped by the bill. But that's their rationale for the no vote.
2: It was interesting to watch the, um, the fallout from those votes because Inhofe's office in particular released a press release that sort of made it sound like he supported it. Um, and he got called out very quickly on that. That he, you know, he actually supported a different bill that ended up failing, and and some other amendments. But he did not support the the bill that passed. And so um, it was interesting to watch his office get uh, caught, so to speak.
0: That's speaking of Inhofe getting caught. Um, so today, I guess this morning, I we woke up at like four o'clock. I think the front coming through. Woke up our dogs and the cat and the baby. It was. A really bizarre time. But I saw an article for the New York Times about some insider trading, right? So uh, there was, I think, five senators, one of which was James Inhofe that was named as someone who allegedly dumped a bunch of stock just before america really started to realize how big this pandemic was going to be another person was senator william burr who like chairs the senate intelligence committee and he's like yesterday npr had a story about him giving a talk to a small kind of private group um in which his language was much more aggressive about how bad this is going to be than he had been publicly he'd like just authored an op-ed saying not so bad it's gonna be okay and then told this group oh no it's gonna be real gnarly." And in between there, he sold off like, I don't know, $1.8 million worth of stock uh, before before it tanked. As um, one does. Right. Um, and and this is a bipartisan effort, right? Like uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein was also named as one of them. Um, although so far she's had the best alibi. I thought Senator Inhofe's statement was, honestly, it was just like weak. He was like, I wasn't in that meeting. I was in another meeting and I was like, that's not the fucking point. Like the (laughs) point, he was, the stock was sold. He he didn't even say that he was in another
3: meeting. He said he was like, I think in Oklahoma with pro-life students.
0: I thought well, I thought it was a meeting with those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not only was he not And the new
1: nominee to be U.S. ambassador to Tanzania is what he said.
0: Tanzania? Come
3: on. It's, it's it's a little bananas they're all I mean, you know they're all saying that like they don't make any of their own investment decisions and that all of this is done like through third parties who manage their assets and they're in you know etfs and index funds and and all this stuff i don't know it's not a it's not a good look it's
2: not a good um, look well and Interestingly, you know, a lot of folks are calling for there to be investigations about this insider trading accusations for these senators. And the chair of the Senate Ethics Committee is Senator Lankford. Um, And so, you know, I don't want to project what's going to happen, but I anticipate that um, this is going to probably not turn into much unless there's a, a separate investigation outside of the Senate.
4: Good.
0: Like that. I didn't know that. And like the irony is just right. the mind boggles. Yep.
3: Uh, Speaking of, have you guys seen Effie? You probably have not been since you're in, uh, since you're in Maine, but um, Andy Bailey, have you guys seen Senator Inhofe's like his like, his opening salvo and his re-election bid and his uh, the commercial of him flying his plane. Yeah, I saw it during the Super Bowl.
0: If you guys will allow me to continue. It's like, it's all recorded on his like in helmet mic.
3: Yes, while he's flying his plane and talking about the talking about the greatness of America doesn't really say anything about what he has done or will do as a senator. It's just him flying his plane that's painted red, white, and blue and talking about America.
2: Um, isn't that all it takes anymore?
3: I mean, that's the thing. I'm sad to say, I think it's probably a remarkably effective ad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
4: Have you you seen it?
2: I have seen it. Yeah. Yes. I've seen, um, I've seen many jokes about it on the interwebs. The thing that, that baffles me, and and I've said this for a long time about lots of, uh, legislators, the man is 85. Doesn't he want to like rest and play with his grandkids? Being a senator is hard work. It's grueling. You have to travel a lot. You have to read a lot. I'm sure. It just doesn't. That's not how I'd want to spend my 80s. I'm surprised that the interest among that age group remains as high as it does.
4: I and mean,
3: he's
2: heard since the 80s, so he's
3: mm-hmm. been there
1: for a long time representing Oklahoma. I don't.
3: I don't have a lot of power, but I've heard it tastes delicious.
2: Yeah, I could say that. <laughs> to, to put in perspective, his age, and and you know, this is this is. um without uh, saying it's a good or bad, but just to to clarify how old he truly is. He was born during the Dust Bowl. He was alive during the Dust Bowl and he still is making decisions for Oklahoma. Um, But also also as a balanced
1: perspective, it would be, I said as a balanced perspective, it would be a huge loss to Oklahoma um, should somebody else be elected because he has one of the most powerful positions in the Senate. Yeah, he's a very senior senator. Yeah, well, I was the Armed Services Chair of the Senate, and so um, I mean it's a, it's a double-edged sword.
3: We talked about this last year, you know, when we were had a we had an issue with the way graduate medical education was funded in Oklahoma. Um, the Oklahoma's medical schools were short several million dollars, and there was it was like a whole big big thing. But there was a defense spending, I think, authorization bill, and Senator Inhofe just like inserted a line that was like. million for medical education in Oklahoma. And like, we talked about it on the show at that time. Like I disagree with Senator Inhofe on like any number of things, but let's just say that our Senator or one of our senators was a freshman in either party. Right. Like they don't get to be like, Oh, uh, Hey, by the way, we're putting a $30 million appropriation for medical education in my state into this bill. Um, Why? Because I said so. Right. Well, <laughs> well, that's
2: that's one thing that's been interesting being in Maine is, you know, Senator Collins is in the same position. Um, a lot of people are really unhappy with her, but she's such a high ranking senator and she's so powerful um, and has brought so much to the state that people here, you know, I don't know if, if folks in Oklahoma are feeling a little bit torn about voting for Inhofe or not, but people here are definitely torn about whether they want to su- continue to support Susan Collins.
3: Effie, I don't understand. Why would anyone not want to support Senator Collins?
2: Um, you know, a lot of people are still pretty upset about her vote on Brett Kavanaugh, um, and
0: I forgot all about that. Yeah, Good that going.
2: people in Maine are not happy about that, and um, I'm hearing a lot of ads on the radio and stuff um, that are really criticizing her for taking so much corporate PAC money from. is, you know, she's taking all this money and it doesn't really help Maine. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm not super in tune with what's going on in Maine politics, but Bailey makes a good point that giving up your senior senator, even if you don't agree with them, um, is a big loss for a state because they wield a lot of power.
3: I think something that might come home to roost a little bit for Senator Collins, I don't, I know nothing about Maine politics, except that she's one of theirs. she's the senior senator and that the other one is Angus King. Yeah. And I just know that because I, I, I think I want to name my firstborn son Angus. Um, but <laughs> after, after the beef, not the senator. <laughs> Ash, Ashley is sitting across the table from me in our makeshift home office and the look she just gave me. Um, <laughs> um, no. Um, but uh, so in 2008, uh, 2009, uh, President Obama. Um, one of his first major acts was to sign, uh, an economic recovery package after the 2008 financial crisis. Um, and there was originally supposed to be, I want to say it was $897 billion, um, in the economic recovery package specifically earmarked for $897 million, not billion, $897 million, um, which is a lot of money for pandemic preparedness, like pandemic readiness, um that was actually stripped out of the bill at the insistence of Senator Susan Collins. So I don't know if that's going
2: to hurt her this time around. Maybe. I mean, somebody will need to mention it. You know, I don't know if people know about it. <laughs>
0: I, um two things. One, I, a quick correction. I think I said William Burr earlier. I meant Richard Burr. Anyway, I wasn't going to say anything. Thank you. Um, <laughs> It's not, it's not Aaron Burr, right? That's that's all we know. Aaron Burr.
2: Do you so Scott keeps saying that your mom come back. Do you know what my husband has started saying to me lately? Instead, no. instead of like your mom goes to college or or whatever, he just he <laughs> he says you're the worst Burr. That's what he nice. says when he's not happy. You're the worst
0: Burr. <laughs> A little Hamilton, Hamilton, nod there. Yep. Um, Effie, if we could, uh, as we near the end of the episode here. I would love to quiz you on some aspects of Maine. Okay. How, on a scale, of, on a scale of one to ten, ten being best. the most, how how prepared do you feel for this?
2: Um, four.
0: Perfect. Great. Do you know the state bird of Maine? No, I don't. The a, chickadee. A
2: chickadee. I did know Who it.
0: Wanna, there, here's an easy, a, a softball here for the second question: the state crustacean lobster yes of course everyone knows that I think um th- the next one you're never gonna guess the state fish is the landlocked Atlantic salmon
2: it's very specific it is very specific
0: it's Atlantic salmon but not the regular ones the ones that somehow got stranded on land yeah and I, only those I feel right?
2: like someone should save them
0: that sounds very, <laughs> that sounds very
3: that sounds very like on brand for Maine yeah. it does
0: yeah these are our salmon. There are many salmon like them, but this one is ours. The state insect?
2: The black fly. No. I don't know. The honeybee. Oh.
0: This feels like a political. It's because yeah. they, they
3: fertile, they not fertilize, they pollinate the blueberries, right? Probably. So that brings me
0: to the state food.
2: Blueberries.
0: That's part of it. It says blueberry pie whoopie pie.
1: Oh, Which, interesting. Okay.
0: Yeah, aren't those two totally different things? No, it could be a blueberry flavored whoopie pie. Yeah, but it, that maybe seems like an abomination. It
2: does sound gross. A
3: blueberry whoopie pie?
0: I mean, it could be fine. I don't know. I had oh, no, I had man. blueberry
2: beer here once, and it was weird. <laughs> I wonder why that's <laughs> not the state dessert instead of the state food.
0: It's just like, state it's food, 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 right? Yeah, that they, they there's other food options. I think they
3: should change it. I'll tell you what, there's some blueberry gin that makes some blueberry gin in Portland, Maine that'll uh, knock your socks off in the best way possible. It's awesome. <laughs>
0: nice. Do, uh, the state beverage? I've never heard of this before. Moxie. Yes. It's, tell me about Moxie. I don't know
2: anything about it. I haven't tried it. It's like a soda brand from a long time ago that is very polarizing. People either love it or hate it. I've not tried it.
0: We're going to need you to report
2: Taste
0: back it. okay yeah it says uh moxie's flavor is unique a sweet drink with a bitter aftertaste it is flavored with genetian root extract an extremely bitter substance commonly used in herbal medicine gentian like gentian root g-e-n-t-i-a-n Genshin, yeah i don't know how to pronounce it yeah gentian
3: oh you use gentian violet to treat thrush in babies yeah <laughs>
4: Well, okay. <laughs>
0: you it paint you paint their mouth purple, Effie. If I vinro you, can you ship me some moxie? I will bring this you some moxie. Quarantine. This yes. sounds fascinating. I've
2: never even seen it. I don't know. Maybe it's purple.
0: It's an orange can. It's an, an orange I can.
2: I don't know what the drink itself looks like.
3: But when it's so, a, but, but it's a soft drink. I think so. Because this sounds like because you're talking about this, Andy. It makes me and it makes me think of like uh, Malort like from Chicago which is like this like super 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 bitter like liquor that apparently is disgusting but if you're like if you're like hipster enough you drink it and profess
0: love for it I don't know mm. no it's a carbonated beverage among the first mass produced soft drinks it was created in 1876 as a patent medicine called Moxie Nerve Food okay (laughs) it was designated as the official soft drink of maine on may 10th 2005 and continues to be regionally popular today particularly in new england well okay which is nuts so anyway Um, yes i would love to taste it when i was in high school i worked at subway i'm a sandwich artist as i think our listeners probably know and the subway i worked at was in a gas station like on the edge of town like one of the weird gas stations not a major like not a Texaco, it was like a Quicks like with an X.
2: I too worked at a gas station in high school.
0: It's the weirdest place, right? Yep. Like a close knit community, and we had really weird products that we would often buy with our tip money, like blue cream soda and Tijuana Mama uh, beef jerky, pickled pickled beef jerky sausage things. Uh, and I was always really entertained to try these off the wall. Uh, concoctions, much like Moxie. So, um,
3: not to disrupt the amazing fun we're having, but Bailey has a little bit of breaking news that she was put in our Slack channel.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, so this is related to coronavirus. So, bringing us back to the initial conversation on the the podcast, um, there are states that are taking a lot of precautionary measures um, that. Are basically forcing people to practice social distancing. So, California was the first state to require shelter in place uh, policies. Uh, the city of San Francisco first did it, and now it's the entire state of California um, this week that's under a shelter in place requirement, meaning that you can go out and get food or for emergencies, but they ask people not to do anything outside of that. Um, Illinois just announced about 30 minutes ago that they're also implementing a shelter-in-place policy. So we're seeing more of those uh, pop up throughout the states um, as the pandemic progresses.
0: Illinois, crazy, crazy times. So Colorado, New York, Illinois, is, is Texas next, you think? Florida, one of those?
1: Well, Texas hasn't put any statewide policy yet on even shutting down restaurants and bars and things, so...
0: All right, folks, well, that brings us, I think, to the end of this episode. Hey, next week, guys, let's talk about the economic impact of the pandemic, specifically on the Oklahoma budget. Um, That'll give us another week of data, and I have a feeling we're gonna have uh, a lot more information that is probably not positive. So, uh, we'll do that next week. Um, Thanks, everyone, for being here. Bailey, thank you very much. Of course. Effie, thank you for joining us from Maine.
2: Thanks for having me. It was nice to see other humans' faces today.
0: We should definitely do a Maine-focused episode because I think Maine politics is low-key fascinating, and uh, whatever insight you could share would be just lovely. The
2: only insight I can share is like a compare and contrast with Oklahoma.
0: That's exactly what we need. And it it
2: is interesting. It's very different.
0: I wonder,
3: part of me thinks that they would be kind of similar. Like, like, like they have, like, cause Oklahoma tends to be like, we tend to have a lot of like, get off my lawn, leave me alone. Yeah. You know, like I don't care if like anybody who wants a medical weed card can get one, but don't tell me that I also can't have like a million guns. And it seems like there might be a similar strain running through a lot of Mainers. There
2: is a similar um, strain for sure, except for like add in a little bit more like I make my own organic granola and I sure. sew things out of llama wool. <laughs> sure.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Other than that, there are some similarities, yes. It's <laughs> a
0: very specific fabric.
2: It's, it's yes.
0: <laughs> so we're gonna call the episode surf and turf because it's the same state, just you have lobster and we have beef. Yeah. And then we'll talk about it there. That's a great, a great plan.
4: <laughs> great. We should
0: also eat we should eat surf and turf while we record.
2: But only right, well, only if you are take safety precautions at the grocery store to buy those goods.
0: I will order it. Is Omaha Steaks, is that still a thing? Are they still shipping it to, to your door? Probably. Who knows? Never had right. an Omaha Steak. Heard they're tasty. They're, it's fine. <laughs> steak. It's fine. All right, everyone. Well, uh, uh, don't forget to subscribe and rate Let's Pod This on Apple Podcasts because that helps other folks discover us. Uh, remember you can stay connected with us on twitter and instagram even in the midst of a pandemic we are at let's fix this okay scott is at sc melson bailey is at bailey m perkins effie is at do you know your twitter handle? i
2: recently changed it hold on it's still at effie craven
0: effie craven yeah and i am at Andy O. K. C. you can also like our facebook page at facebook.com slash let's fix this okay which is our website, let'sfixisok.org. Sign up for some newsletters, which I need to send out. Man, it's been a minute. Uh, Read our blog. Need to write one of those as well. And find other resources and details about upcoming events, of which there are none because it's a pandemic and everyone's staying home. Uh, We're going to make a donation. That would be terrific. Our podcast is edited and produced by Scott and me and Bailey. And uh, Let's Pod This is a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network. Our theme music is provided... Um, by artist so down and it's a track called rhino funk let's fix this is a non-partisan non-profit organization who strives to educate and equip all oklahomans to engage with their government we encourage you to get involved in any way you can and remember decisions are made by those who show up but not right now keep a safe social distance and everyone be safe